we're in uh, chapter 7, verse 14 through 23. And we're starting this like new series today on sin. And I've joked about this is how I wanted to uh, shrink the church. It was teaching on sin. And, um, and I hope it happens. So if you have a Bible, turn to chapter 7. And, you know, we sing a lot about sin. We even sang about it in the last song. And we sing a lot about it. And um, so Jesus doesn't really even get into sin in particular until right here, where he starts really getting specific about sin. And so we're going to kind of stop and look at this whole section, like all the sins that he starts to name and where it comes from. So we'll do a little intro today about our hearts, and then we'll move outward to um, the, the striking sins that everyone knows are sins, to more subtle sins that everyone kind of thinks we get away with because everyone does them, and then secret sins, the sins that we don't really even think we have. So that's kind of how Jesus does. He's like, he starts inside and works his way out. So that's what we'll be looking, looking at. But I'm going to start in, in verse 1 of chapter 7 to gather a little bit of context before we go into verse 14. Because this, this, this whole setting is, there's, there's a context here. What Jesus is talking about is the heart. And he starts with the Pharisees because the Pharisees ask a question. That's the catalyst to the heart. And so we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read through and then I'll pray. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of Jesus' disciples ate with hands that were defiled. Okay, that's a key word. Remember that word. That is unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and there are many other traditions they observe, such as uh, washing cups and pots and copper uh, vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? It is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever uh, reviles his father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. We talked about that section a couple weeks ago. Now this section this morning. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me all of you and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray. Let's pray. 
Lord, this um, passage of Scripture before us is your word, and it's heavy. And I pray, God, that if in our hearts right now, if some kind of defense has gone up, some defense mechanism where it's like blocks when some preacher talks about sin or someone else talks about sin and all these old-fashioned things start running through their head and they don't want to receive it, I pray right now your Holy Spirit would just melt our hearts, God. I pray that we would see Jesus and that we would see every single person in this room, religious, irreligious, walking with Jesus or not, we need you, all of us. We're all sheep that have gone astray. Each have turned to his own way. We're all naturally bent inward, God. And I pray that you would show Jesus as beautiful and as the Savior that he is. We are great sinners, but Jesus is a great Savior. Would you exalt Christ today? We look to you. I ask that you would anoint me, Lord. Would you use my mind and my heart and my mouth for your glory, God? We submit ourselves under your word. We pray that you would be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in the book of Mark since we started in January. We started the church in January. So we've been in this book ever since. And we took a little break over the last month from Mark. But now we're back in it. And what we've been saying over the last nine months is that Mark's gospel is this fairly fast-paced book of Christology. It's this fairly fast-paced book about Christ exalting Christ, showing Christ for who he really is. And Mark tells us this story by moving from one scene to another scene, showing who Jesus really is. This book is a little bit revelatory in that it reveals who Christ is, and that's why I love it. It's fast-paced, like an action movie, and it just goes from scene to scene, showing us who Jesus is, and that's why I love this book. Now, the Jesus in Mark is not a Jesus that's recast by either a secular relativist or even the church. See, what, what happens is the secular relativist looks at Jesus and recasts him. People do it all the time. They kind of want to water down what Jesus said or who Jesus claimed to be or what he was here to do. It's like Jesus is a little bit too extreme. Let's cut him with a little bit of water. Let's calm down, Jesus. You don't have to start talking about sin, preaching about sin, okay? Calm down. And so we kind of cut him with a little bit of water. Like, he just needs to be a little bit, we want the tame version of Jesus. Not the crazy one, not the super religious one, just the tame version of Jesus, especially in chapter 7. All of us would like to take chapter 7 right out and go, um, let's just skip over that whole list because every single one of us are nailed on that list. Some of, we're reading that, we're like, oh my gosh, that was me and that was me. I'm number one, six, I'm actually all of them except for one. And we're all, we're like, let's just take all of that out but Mark doesn't do that. But also what Mark doesn't do, he doesn't let Jesus be recast by the church, like a made-up Jesus that the church makes up around church's political parties or self-righteousness like the Pharisees. See, in Mark, we get the real, raw Jesus, what he did and who he really was. And it gets pretty gnarly here in chapter 7. In chapter 7, because Jesus gets to the heart of the problem, he gets right down to the heart of the problem of religion, because this can become religion and religious as well, people. Like this, coming to church, even saying the word Jesus and the name Jesus, this can become religious. And Jesus gets to the heart of the problem with religion, with sex, with people, with everything. He gets right to the heart of it. What's really going on? And so he deals with the heart. 
the heart of the problem, where this evil comes from. Jesus gets to the heart of the problem of sin and to the heart of the problem of evil, where evil lies. And what we see is that the problem of sin and evil doesn't lay outside of us. It's not outside of us somewhere else. It's not society. It's not how I was raised. It's not urban decay. It's not unemployment. It's not hip-hop music or punk rock or whatever music you think is the devil. It's not that. It's not something outside of us. The evil is within us. The evil's inside of us. So this is how we'll look at this section of Scripture. The source of sin, the essence of sin, and the offense of sin. Yes, we are going to be using the word sin a lot in the next four weeks. The source of sin, where it's from, the essence of sin, what's its nature, and the offense of sin. Why is sin so bad? First point, the source of sin. Remember uh, a couple of weeks ago in chapter 7, if you were here several weeks ago, like three or four weeks back, Chapter 7 opened, and we read it right now, as the Pharisees questioned Jesus and his disciples as to why they didn't wash their hands before they ate. Now, this is not hygiene, okay? I'm all about the hygiene. I'm all about washing your hands before you eat, all about the antibac. If you keep it, like, on your person, antibac, you're amazing to me. Like, you just go up a level in my book. I'm all about hygiene, but this is not what the, the Pharisees were talking about. They're not talking about hygiene here. They're talking, what they wanted to know, and why they cornered Jesus was, why don't your disciples wash and make themselves clean and acceptable to God? Why don't you wash yourself and make yourself acceptable to God? Why don't your disciples do that? Basically, what these religious leaders believed was that you were clean and you were cleansed internally by some external action. Your insides got dirty. The way you cleaned your insides was by some external action that you brought inward. Something you did outwardly made you inwardly clean. And this this is why they brought up washing. Because of this, they washed everything. Look at what it says in verse 3 and 4. The Pharisees, like it says, like all the Jews, so if you were truly Jewish, this is what you did. It says they did not eat unless they washed their hands And then they washed all this other stuff too. And there are many other traditions that they observed. They washed cups and pots and copper vessels. They even washed couches to make it pure. They believed by washing washing a couch, by washing a cup, by washing your hands, you were inwardly clean. So this whole issue came up of defiled hands. Eating with defiled hands brought up this whole bigger issue of what is the source of defilement? How is somebody made defiled? How are you made unclean? How are you made unacceptable before God? How does somebody become unclean, defiled, and thus unacceptable to God? That's what this this question brought up. And that's what sparked this whole controversy. See, throughout the book of Mark, Jesus and the religious leaders were always in conflict. And the controversy between them once again erupted around this question, and it's on the screen. What is the source of defilement? What's its source? How do you become unclean? How do you become sinful? Why are you evil? And how, once you are evil and you realize you're sinful, how do you become clean? How do you become pure and holy and righteous before a holy God? And the Pharisees had a superficial view of sin. See, they believed 
that sin came from the outside in. Things like unclean hands, unwashed couches, unclean foods, things, these things made you unclean inside. Sin entered from the outside in. This is what they believed. So if you kept yourself pure from these things by roadblocks we talked about several weeks ago, if you washed you, your hands when you came back from the marketplace just in case some Gentile scum touched you, you're good. You're golden. If you held to these traditions that they set up, you were acceptable before God. They saw sin like pollution, like spiritual germs. This was why they asked Jesus why his disciples didn't wash their hands and hold to the tradition of the elders. See, they believed if your hands touched some pollution, then your hands were dirty, and if you touched bread, you'd make the bread dirty, and then you would eat the bread, and you would go dirty inside. You see, that's why they always washed. Because if you touched a Gentile, your hands were dirty. And if you touched bread, the bread was dirty. And if you put the bread in your mouth, your soul would be dirty. That's what they thought. That's what they believed about sin. But here's the problem. The religious leaders acted as if there were nothing, there was nothing fundamentally wrong with us. They said the problem is all out there, not in here. What goes wrong is our environment, which makes us bad. The things around us contaminate us. They pollute us. The problem's out there, not in here. But Jesus didn't have a superficial view of sin. Jesus had a pervasive view of sin. Sin starts here and works its way out. This is what Jesus is saying. Sin is not a result of our environment, but the evil in our own hearts. Sin starts in here. And that's what Jesus was saying. That's where real sin and real evil come from. Look at verse 14. It says, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And the disciples pulled him aside right after that. We just read that. It was like this thought was revolutionary to them. Wait, you're saying that sin comes from within us? Sin's in here? Wait, they pulled him aside. What tell us about that parable? What are you talking about? Are you saying we're the problem? Are you telling me, Jesus, that I'm the problem? Because I thought it was my family. Because I've hung out with my family, and I think my family's the problem. I think my job's the problem. I think my friends are the problem. I think my environment, if I just got a new house and got to decorate it the way I wanted to, I would live a happy, fulfilled life. I would live my best life now. It would be awesome. And that's what we think. If we just keep arranging things around us, and Jesus is like, you know what? The problem is your heart. You're the problem. It's you. And because it's you, you contaminate everything outside of you. Everything is defiled now because of you. He goes on and says in verse 18, and he gets a little humorous here if you could get Jesus' humor. I think Jesus is very funny. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and then is expelled? Now, if you have a Bible that has footnotes, it might have a little footnote there and says latrine, literally toilet. Just guys, it goes in your mouth, stomach, toilet. <laughs> Doesn't touch your heart. I mean, that's funny. I would have laughed if I was there. I would have been like, that was a good one. <laughs> but this is what Jesus is saying. Like it goes your mouth, your stomach, toilet. Literally, it goes in one end and out the other and it doesn't touch your soul. Your soul is the problem, he says. It doesn't touch the heart of man. This is what he said. What comes out of a person, what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. See, evil thoughts start in your heart. 
Sexual immorality starts in your heart. Theft and murder and adultery happen first in your heart. Coveting, wickedness, deceit, lying, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness all happen first in your heart. All these evil things come from within you and they defile a person. They come from within you and they defile everything. It ruins your job, your marriage. It ruins the way you think about life and even politics. It ruins the way that you drive your car. Your heart ruins everything, Jesus says. It starts there first. Jesus is saying that the real source of the problem was not the law itself or dirty hands or unclean foods or unclean places. Jesus said that there is something fundamentally wrong inside all of us. Jesus is saying here, all foods are clean and all hearts are unclean, which is opposite of what they thought. They thought some foods were clean and some foods weren't, but your heart was clean. And you had to keep it clean. Everyone starts with an A and you get an F. Jesus is like, no, everyone starts with an F and you need an A. That's how Jesus says it's, it's wrong fundamentally from the very get-go. Just as the heart organ pumps blood into all areas of your body, so the spiritual heart, the center of human personality, which determines our action and inaction, is corrupted and pumps sin into all areas of our life. And this was revolutionary because this is what this means. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because of what we touch or see or eat or drink. It's not like, oh my gosh, I just saw something nasty. I'm such a sinner. You were a sinner before you saw that thing. You're a sinner in your heart because before we ever touched that forbidden thing that we knew we never should touch, sin already laid in our hearts. Before we ever looked upon impurity with our own eyes, our inner soul, our inner being was already impure. And before we ever drank or ate, our hearts were already filled with sin. See, external things do not make you a sinner, and external things can't make you holy. And that's why Jesus gets kind of comical here. That's why he says it goes from the stomach to the toilet, literally. It goes in one end and out the other. It never, food never touches your soul. It never touches your heart. Your heart is the problem. And by the heart, the Bible means the center of who you are. The heart is where your motives and your affections lie. See, you can know something, you can know right or wrong in your mind, but your heart is what carries it out. You can know something's wrong, but you do it anyways because your heart is ruined. The Greeks believed and thought that, that the heart was the seat of a person, where all of the things that make you, you collide. This is will, this is emotion, affections. It can even be your mind and your thoughts. All of that, the you of you, is where evil lies. And verse 23 comes from, it says, all this evil comes from within. This is the source of the problem, your heart. Why? What's the nature of it? What's the essence of sin? Point two. The essence of sin is this. And I know that when I start talking about sin, this might be foreign to some of you. Some of you probably never think about sin. You don't even give it a second thought. You never really thought of, think about it. You don't really think that there is such thing as sin. You're like, well, who's to say what's right and what's wrong? This is the way my parents raised me. It's up to the individual. 
D.A. Carson is a um, New Testament scholar, and I enjoy listening to him and reading him. And he said the most frustrating aspect of doing evangelism in universities, because he's a professor, is the fact that students, he says, students generally have no idea of sin. He says, quote, they know how to sin well enough, but they have no idea what constitutes sin. I even had to teach my iPhone what sin was this week. This week, as I was thinking about things to share, I would type, grab my phone, and in the notes, type in, like, sin this, and it would change sin to win. <laughs> I go, sin, space, win. I'm like, no, sin. It's like, didn't know it, and it was, I had to teach it. I, I had this, like, I was having this conversation with my phone. It's like, Dave, I don't compute. You know, like, sin equals win? I'm like, no, phone, sin equals fail. Sin does not equal win, so don't do that. I should know all about failing because it's an iPhone 4 and it always. <laughs> so what's sin's essence? What's the essence of sin? And a lot of us, we have to be taught this because we don't know sin. We don't really think we sin. We're like, well, I don't know, maybe kind of. I mean, I don't do anything that bad. And I, I live kind of far away from home, so I mean, my parents don't know everything. And just, we think that we need to be retaught. What does the Bible say as is sin? And what is its essence? There's a textual clue here. It's pretty awesome. There's a key word that makes 11 appearances in this section. It's the Greek word anthropos, or human being. It's found in verse 7, 9, 11, 15, 18, 21, and 23. And all these verses, it keeps giving us textual clues as to what this is. In verse 7, it says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of Anthropos. In verse 9, it says, You forsake the commandment of God and hold fast to the tradition of human beings, of Anthropos. In verse 18, skipping down, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person into an anthropos from outside cannot defile him verse 20 and he said what comes out of a again the same word is what defiles him verse 21 for from within out of the heart of man out of our hearts come evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder adultery and this is what defiles him and finally in verse 23 all these evil things come from within and they defile a anthropos this word is not used this many times by accident. Jesus is saying that the essence of sin, listen, the essence of sin is self-centeredness. It's that we're anthropocentric. We're centered around, we're bent inward towards ourselves. We love ourselves. And we do everything because we serve us. We make decisions based on us and our needs and our wants. All the sins that Jesus mentions are manifestations of our self-centeredness. The origin of evil is the human heart, and it destroys and stains everything because we are by nature sinful naturally bent inward towards ourselves. We're not bent Godward. We don't make every decision based on God. We make every decision based on us. This is why Jesus says you don't become defiled from the outside in. Rather, you defile from the inside out. That means our hearts take things like faith and religion and destroy it. And Christianity has done this. Christianity has taken the, the core doctrines of the Christian faith and ruined things. You might be here destroyed by another church. 
There are evil people in churches, let me tell you. It's because people love themselves, and they will take something like religion and power and bend it inwards towards themselves and destroy things. We take things like sex and we destroy it. We make it about us and what we like, and we ignore what God has to say about sex. We make things about us. And that's, why Jesus, that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, and he starts by showing the Pharisees how they screwed up God's law, and then he adds, not just that, we've screwed up sex and language, even property, by the, and the way that we treat people because our hearts are self-centered. The eternal corruption of the anthropos affects everything. See, we're anthropocentric and we're not theocentric. We're not centered around God. We're centered around self. Theocentric means we, we regard God as the central and the most important element of existence. God is the most important thing in the world. But we make it about us. We bend it inwards regarding me. It's all about me. And I'm the center and the most important element of my existence. And Jesus tells these Pharisees and these disciples, have you forgot about God? And this is why we can take things like religion and church and make them about us. What we like and what we don't like and not about God, and that's sin. And we take things like sex, and we make it about our preference, our likes, our tendencies, and we leave God and his word out. And Jesus starts with religion, and he ends up with immorality. He's like, You've, you guys have ruined everything. Your hearts are so wicked that they could take things like religion and ruin it. They could take things like sex and ruin it, and they could take subtle things, not just church and sex, but more subtle sins like bitterness and unforgiveness. See, it's easy for us to condemn more obvious sins while virtually ignoring our own sins of gossip, of pride, envy, bitterness, and lust. And Jesus says all of these things come from our evil hearts within us. See, the real source of defilement and thus our broken relationship with God is the human heart itself. We are bent inward. Like that movie, Train Spotting. The entire movie illustrates this world of evil. And at the end of it, Ewan McGregor's character steals all his money from his friends and he walks away and it says this, why did I do it? I mean, this whole, this whole vile narrative of this movie and he steals from his friends. Why did I do it? He said, I can make a million excuses, but the truth is, I'm a bad person. That's the commentary of Mark chapter 7. You can make a million excuses to yourself, to God, to whomever, why you do what you do, why you are the way you are. But Jesus says here, the real reason is you're evil. Welcome to church. That's what Jesus says. You're evil. And that's the real reason. But why is sin such an offense to God? I mean, have you ever thought about this? Why is... Why is God so offended by my sin? Sin creates a reality, something that God sees and cannot look upon in approval because God is absolutely holy. There's a scene in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah gets this little glimpse into the throne room of God, and this is what he sees. Verse 1, in the year of King Uzziah when he died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. And with two he covered his 
face because God was so holy. And with two, he covered his feet because God was so holy. And with two, he flew. And one called to another. They said to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And this is what Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah sees how holy God is, he realizes how sinful he is. He realizes, look at how holy God is, and woe is me. See, before this in Isaiah, he was complaining about his nation. He was complaining about all these other people, and he sees God, and he's like, you know what? I'm sinful. It's me. God is holy. This is why God is so offended by sin, because he's absolutely holy. Sin is an offense to God because all sin is first an offense to God. All sin is against God first. That's why David prayed when he sinned with Bathsheba, against you and only you I've sinned. Sin is against God because God is absolutely righteous. And this is why God just can't forgive. Do you ever think that? If God's so powerful, why can't he just go, you know what, forgiven? Why couldn't he do that? We were in London on our prayer tour and we had this conversation with a young man who grew up Muslim but was exploring Christianity and we were praying in a church on a a random weekday and he was there just walking around, just exploring Christianity by going to the nearest church and just walking around inside to keep those big churches open all day. And so one, some people in our group started talking to him, and then we left, and when we came back, he was still there. So he came and talked to us, and we're talking to him for a while. And he was just asking all these questions about Christianity. And then he got to this one at the end. It's like, this is my biggest problem with Christianity. This is what I don't understand. If God is absolutely powerful, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God just say, hey, you know what? You're forgiven, man. I forgive you. I I see your heart. I know you're sorry. I forgive you. Forgiven. Why couldn't God do that? Why couldn't God, why did God have to send Jesus to die for us if he has absolute power? The way that we responded was there's no justice in that. Who pays the penalty for someone's sin? What if your wife or your mom was raped and murdered and the judge was in a good mood and just said, pardoned? You would go, where is the justice? Where's the justice? I mean, we've all seen Count of Monte Cristo. There's something about that movie. They're like, justice. There needs to be, even at the end of the movie, even if you don't really support violence, when the guy dies, you're like, yes, justice. I love slow justice. That was so, there's the whole movie just about the, the justice of this one man, getting his just revenge. There's something inside of us. They're like, we love justice. But if God was to deal out justice, we'd all be dead because we're all sinners. And Jesus is the only one that can pay for our sins. He's the only one that was holy and righteous and could pay the penalty that we owed. See, sin creates something. Sin creates a reality. It's a wrongful deed that creates in its wake some sort of thing that has to be removed. You know what I'm talking about. If you sinned against your friend and your friend and you are in a room, isn't there something in the room? Have you ever noticed that there's something there? There's something between us. Sin created this reality and it's there. Sins create reality. A reality that God cannot look upon in approval. That something must be done to remove it. 
And so when the Bible says sin does create this reality, it's not just a thing or just a reality, but a specific and particular kind of reality. See, when you and I sin, something concrete happens. And when the Bible uses the language of sin, it uses this language of something concrete. It says you are stained. When you and I sin, we're stained. That means we're unclean. When you and I sin, we're burdened. We bear a weight. We're heavy laden. Or we fall into debt when we sin. We become enslaved. So when the Bible talks about forgiveness, it says you've been cleansed from sin. The burden of sin has been lifted and the debt of sin has been paid in full. But how does that happen? How is our sin removed? How is the stain wiped out? How is the burden lifted? Because you can't pay your own debt. Your own debt of sin is way too much. Your heart is way too evil. The Bible says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. So you can't bear the weight of your own sin either. It's too heavy. Some of you guys are trying. Some of you guys come in here carrying the weight of your sin, and it's too heavy. And you can't clean yourself. No matter how many times you come to church, you can't clean yourself. See, the book of Mark keeps moving forward and culminates at the event of the cross. It was the cross that Jesus paid the debt for our sins in full with his own life. The centerpiece of the book of Mark is chapter 10, verse 45. It says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to pay the debt of our sin. It was on the cross that Jesus bore the weight of our sin and our shame. It was on the cross that Jesus washed us clean by his blood. See, the religion says, religion says, the pharisaical religion, and what, what the Pharisees were pushing is religion is inside out. Oh, sorry, outside in. Religion says, I can be cleansed by things that I do. I can make myself acceptable to God. If I just do these things, I can make my heart right before God. And that's what the Pharisees thought. But the gospel is inside out. Your heart is the problem. You need a new heart. By taking our sin and paying the ultimate price, Jesus gives us a new heart. The problem is deeper than you think. And what Jesus does is he pulls out your heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh. He purifies your heart. And that's why we take communion. I heard this really good quote about communion, that the world, the world drinks to forget, but the Christian drinks to remember. We remember what Christ has done in paying the penalty for our sin on the cross. And we come forward in communion and, and thanksgiving, thank you for giving me a new heart. Thank you for cleansing me of my sin and making me acceptable before you where I can have a relationship with God. I can be made right before God and the weight of sin and the burden of sin and the power of sin and the stain of sin on our soul is removed. C.S. Lewis says, the almost impossibly hard thing to hand over your whole life, your whole self to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are all trying to do instead. For what we are trying to do is remain what we call ourselves. Our personal happiness centered on money, and pleasure, or ambition. And hoping, despite this, to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. 
And that is exactly what Christ warned us we cannot do. If I am a grass field, all the cutting will keep the grass less but won't produce wheat. If I want wheat, I must be plowed up and re-sown. If we're just trying some external thing to go, I just need to keep the sin to a manageable level, it can never happen. What you need to be do, done to your heart is uprooted and re-sown. And that's what Christ has done. And that's what Christ offers us. You need a new heart, I can give you a new heart. You need to be cleansed from your sin, I can do that. And you don't, it's free. It's a free gift of God. And what do we do? First of all, we acknowledge. We know, we're like, listen, I know, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners, and we need Jesus. And so I'm not so much gonna be bent inwards, I'm going Godward. I'm not gonna go, you know what, I, I, I kinda see religion and power and money and sex the way I want to, I'm gonna start seeing it the way God wants me to see it, and I'm gonna turn to Christ, and I'm gonna repent and believe on him to have a new heart. And Christ gives freely. Let's do that now as we turn to Christ in prayer. Let's turn to him and tell them that we do, we need him. We need to repent and we need to turn and trust in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you now as we, um, as we turn to you in worship and in communion. We say, Lord, that we agree with your word and we agree with the assessment that evil is in our hearts. And we can't manage it. We can't control it. It just destroys us. And what we need is you. What we need is a pure heart. And we thank you. Lord, I thank you, God, for dying on that cross to free us from sin, from the power of sin, from the presence of sin, from the penalty of sin. And so we look to you, Lord. I pray for those that need to repent that have not turned to you. Pray that you would save us and you would save them. I ask God that those that are just clinging to who they are because of maybe something done to them, sin that was done to them, it's not their fault. I pray they wouldn't stop, they would stop being a victim and turn to Christ receive a new heart and be restored. I pray they wouldn't use that as an excuse anymore. Thank you that you say that if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. They get to be recreated. Behold, all things are new. Thank you for the newness that we have in you. One on the cross. We look to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.